But there's a difference in that which just melts in you and that which you really have to work with. And today as we look at what Peter, what uh, Paul had to say, I'd like for us just to reflect on some of that because freedom for Paul was very important and, and seemed to impact how he wrote to people. And when he heard, sitting in, as we remember the story, we remember that Paul was in prison, that he had heard of a heresy that was going on in the church in Colossae. And so, as he wrote to the Colossian church, he knew he was writing to Gentiles. He was writing, and I'll let you continue to look at the Scripture, but we're going to start first talking a little bit more about the verses, chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, that also are in there. But verses 6 will be another section of it, but leave that up there just like it is. But Paul was writing to Gentiles knowing full well that they had a different religious background than himself. He knew that he had grown up with all of these rules and regulations. He knew what it was to be tied up by rules and regulations. He knew the value of those rules and regulations because on one hand they tie you up, but on the other hand they provide you an absolute value to say I am successful or I'm a failure. In the time of uh, Paul's work as a Pharisee, obviously there was something in the Scriptures that they referred to as the Mishnah, which was a rule book, basically, that was used by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the ones that were in leadership within the Jewish circles. And I'd like to just kind of tell you a little bit about the content of how that book helped people like Paul to determine what was right and wrong. There were basically six main areas that were found within the book. One was called the area of seeds, S-E-E-D-S. It included information on tithing and how you could tithe and why you should tithe and how much you should tithe. And included the area of prayer, how to pray, when to pray, what sacrifices were involved. And it talked about blessings. So it was a rule book. Festivals. It spoke about the Sabbath. Spoke of the festival rules. You've got to remember all this because in a moment we're going to be talking about the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. And he addressed these very issues. And he said to them in the letter, don't get tied up on all this. Being a Christian for us today is not all about rules and regulations. It's not a question of who follows the rules and regulations best wins the game. Number one, it's not a game. But it's not a competition. So it talked about festivals, it talked about prayers and tithing, it talked about marriage and divorce. The book, the mission, I also talked about civil suits, lawsuits, and how, how you dealt with other people outside in legal matters. It talked about things that were classified as holy, things that were unholy, foods you could eat, foods you could not eat, how you were to eat them, how you were to prepare them. They had a rule for everything. Paul knew rules. He knew law. He knew very, very well 
how the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin did their decision making. He knew the convenience of rules. He knew the weaknesses of rules. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he determined for himself that he wanted to make a change. And he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to learn to think on his feet, so to speak. Because that's how Jesus thought. You know, Jesus had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to just stand on the rule and tell people, this is what you should be doing. This is what you... Instead, he himself was constantly challenging the rules. Jesus stepped forward and said, I know the law. I understand the law. But if the law is not functional, if the law controls my ability to love people, care for people and their need, even if it's on the Sabbath, even if it's a woman that normally you would punish or you would ostracize, I'm sorry, I won't do that. And Jesus would explain, here's the rule. I'm sorry, the rule has a weak point. And he would describe, and, and Paul had made his own decision. He said, I want to be like him. That's the way I want to live my life. I want to be able to be quick on my feet. Be able to think and reason and rationally understand what rules are really helping. And which ones may just be something that has little value. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, actually is a continuation from chapter 1 at the last few verses. And it's basically a, a, an explanation by Paul for why he's doing what he's doing. Why he's writing this letter. It's his way of going back and he reviews. And he says, I'm contending for you. Now, we don't have this on the, script, on the screen. But he says, I am fighting for you. He's writing to this church and he's saying, Pay attention, folks. I care. I'm not with you physically, but spiritually, I'm right there beside you. I'm with you. I understand your challenge. I want to be there. He says, I tell you this so that no man uh, may deserve you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see uh, how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. He's trying to be a, an encourager. He's doing all he can do to say to them, there's hope. Hang in there when difficulties come. Paul's words were that of a pastor. His words were that of a teacher. His words were that of a co-worker. A, a struggler that was also going through these issues in his own life. He was sitting in prison. And he was saying to them, be faithful. Don't worry about your circumstances. Don't worry about your issues. Worry about whether you're walking with Christ. You know, we prayed a little while ago. And I don't know if in your prayer group you had the same prayer we did. But there, there was a certain point where we're saying... Father, we don't always understand all that's going on. The circumstances look like we're not being heard. Things aren't clear by you. But ultimately, we do remember you are in charge. It's amazing how often we, we seem to forget that. 
And Paul is saying to them, be faithful and you'll be fine. Paul chose a tough road intentionally. Many of us choose to try to find the easiest path possible for our lives. I mean, that's, that's reasonable. Who wants to go out and say, I want to have a hard, challenging day today? Gee, this is another great day. I hope I can go out and have some problems. We don't start off that way. Paul wrote to these people and he said, look, you've got some challenges. You've got some struggles. You've got this heresy that's come into your midst that's telling you that angels are more important than Christ. They're basically, there's a confusion on who it is you're following. You've gotten wrapped up in religion. You're trying to depend on your own ability to live a certain lifestyle of successful living that will prove somehow you deserve the love of Christ. It's wrong. It's a mistake. Paul chose to be amongst those kinds of people when indeed he could have chosen to remain as a Pharisee and just taken the easy life. He had the alternative. Just as Paul valued the following of Jesus so highly, we too must value the calling that the Lord has given us. We must be about the Word of God. We must be doing the Word of God. Unity and encouragement to the family were Paul's intention. As he reminded these brothers and sisters that they were not alone. The church in, in, in this city, in Colossians, they were sitting and they were beginning to feel that, oh, poor me was there. But they, and they were beginning to look for different alternatives. And it's some of the reason that this mentality came that gradually they allowed the worshiping of angels to take a new position in their lives. They began to ask the questions as to whether or not philosophy might have a better answer than actually following Christ. Maybe this discussion that keeps coming into our lives about God and whether or not God can create sin and yet still be perfect, uh, maybe there's something to that. Maybe it's worthy of a discussion. So Paul is saying to them, don't get sidetracked. Philosophy has strengths in it, but it also has dangers. We too must be strong as we are growing Christians and not settle for activities and games when we need to be solid in our faith. You see, that's what Paul was challenging them with. Over and over in those first few verses, he says you've got to remain on target. You do need to learn. You do need to study. You do need to grow. Nope, not always exciting, not always fun, but it'll help you to become a mature person. For ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to be the same? Our foundation is who we are. We can have fun. We can have games. We can enjoy things. But whether we call it Sunday school, church training, home builders, salt journey, Nurturing, congregational life, whatever, it must be that we are students of the Word. If the Word of God is being ignored in our lives, we are superficial Christians. It's very easy for us to have activities, to have little groups, and still not have the Word of God shared and be studying and applying it to our lives. 
If we are doing that, we are failing. And brothers and sisters, I say that to you because I don't want to be that way. We've got to find that the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God is the center of who we are. We have a foundation that is strong if we are dependent on the Word of God. I wish today that I could offer guarantees and say to you that if you and I looked at Paul and looked at the admonitions that he provides, the encouragement and the blessings, that you would have a smooth sailing life and no problems would come your way. But the problem is there are no guarantees. Indeed, I can only promise you that in life you're going to have a never-ending experience facing decisions. Decisions come to you only every day. All day. That's all. Not often, just all the time. And the problem is, there's no magic book with all the answers. You know, it would be wonderful if we had this little book that said, the answers for today's questions are yes, no, yes, no, maybe, and yes. But the problem is, the questions come and they don't, they're not yes, no questions. And the questions keep coming. And it's not just seven or eight questions. It's questions all. And the question then for us is, how do we handle the decisions we must make? We've got to learn, just like Paul learned from Jesus, we have to learn from Jesus that we can think on our feet. That means our theology has to be found. Our walk with Christ has to be found. Whether we as Christians want to study the Bible or not, is not the issue. We need it. We've got to have His values, His morals, His ethics. His ethics may take us places we don't want to go. His morality may put us in a, a circle that we don't really feel great about. Maybe all of our friends are outside of that box. And we're saying, this is the right way to live. I'm going to do it. But if we don't have any standards at all, Pretty hard to call ourselves Christians. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus and Paul were saying, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ is free, sets us free. The issue of setting us free doesn't set us free to do anything we please. It doesn't set us free to ignore the needs of others. It doesn't set us free to think that people are not looking at us and watching at us watching us and expecting that we have some kind of standards in our lives. But it does set us free from having to accept all that society is saying and believing that all those things are true. It does set us free to recognize that we should have a brain that helps us to decide what is right and wrong, and it should be founded on our understanding of what God has for us. Number of years ago, I had a missionary friend. Now, the story I'm about to tell you is is about uh, some missionaries that I've known for many, many years. Um, there's some modeling in here. I'd prefer you not learn, and you'll know which part that is very quickly. But um, I can still remember a particular story where. Uh, a particular time when several of us who were serving, we were a little bit on the young end of it as missionaries. We were in our 20s, and um, 
The result of being in your 20s is then you're giving the joy of uh, working with the MKs, missionary kids. And so every now and then we take the missionary kids out for a camping experience out on one of the islands. Usually we would go to uh, Landhaus, Dayusan, and go out to someplace like that or Buyo or wherever. And we would just have a great time, good time. But one time we were out in the New Territories in Saigon. And we were driving a car back into the city, and I can still remember the car. Now, some of you who are ancient, like me, would remember a car that was called a Holden. H-O-L-D-E-N. Believe me, it was, it, it would make a, um, it'd be, it was like a little small station wagon that managed to have ten seats in it. Had, you could get three in the front, three in the back, and then it had a couple of seats in the very back that folded open. So, I mean, any place, I mean, it didn't, had no seats at all on top of the car, but you almost thought it might. I mean, there were just, and, and so we had a bunch of MKs, and in those days, the idea of a seatbelt was sort of a theory that might happen someday. So, we had all of these kids inside the car, and we had had a great time out camping, just doing this and that, going swimming, going fishing, doing all sorts of things, just the things that, that MKs love to do. We were on our way back home, and I was driving up through there, and we were going up and down the little road, and everything was going fine. Suddenly, I looked up in my mirror, and behind the second seat, there was a blanket that had been dropped, so I couldn't see. Well, you can, you know, you could understand the dropping of the blanket, because suddenly your inside mirror doesn't work, because all you're looking at is a gray uh, blanket. And I said, hey, 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 and then I started hearing... James is mooning. James is mooning. <clears throat> well, you can use your imagination what mooning might have meant. For some of us, I was a little bit 1001, 1002, 1003. Well, when I hit that 1003, I thought, mooning. Oh, yes. Oh, no. And um, behind us, I looked immediately in my outside mirror. And, of course, there was a car, naturally, you know. Behind us, there was a car that was following us. So I made, I made the comment. I said, I said, okay, it's no problem. I said, I'll talk to his dad about it later. And then I heard this blood-curdling scream. No! Don't do that! Well, James knew. This is not my James, by the way, I should tell you. James knew if his father found out that he had been doing that, what the result would be. His moon would be red in color very soon. And, um, you know, but it gave me a teaching moment to begin to reflect with them. Again, talking about the idea of freedom. And I told him, I said, guys, look, here's the bottom line. Your parents are missionaries here. You are not. You're just here. Mom, Dad brought you over here. You've lived here. But in most of your cases, yes, you have eventually made a decision. And many of you are Christians now. That's good. Talk to me about what you think the people in the car behind us now think of the little white-butted kid sitting in the back seat or in that car in front of them. What kind of a testimony did we just leave? 
I know it was fun. I know you had a great time and you thought this is really a cute thing to do. But you know, sometimes doing those things that are cute still have consequences. So we kind of went through that time and, and reflected on what it was. James was in, at the moment, James was focused on James. Now folks, I want you to understand, I'm using an illustration, but we all do it. At different ages of our lives, I'm not saying we all moon, but I am saying that at different ages of our lives, we become selfish. We see our lives and we see how we function based on what, how it impacts us. He thought, this will be cute. Everybody will think I'm neat. Paul, unlike James, this particular James, saw his role as being a model as he challenged the Christians in the Colossian church. He challenged them and he says, I want you to hold strong. I want you to have a spirit of thankfulness. I want you to eat meat. It's good that you're a Christian, but there's more than just having fun. It's more than games. It means you've got to grow up. God wants to use you. Wants to do wonderful things with you. But you've got to be able to decide what is healthy for you and why God put you here. Why are you in this church? Why are you in that church? Why are you serving as a Sunday school worker? Why are you doing whatever it is you're doing? The challenge was put forth by Paul. He was saying, you can't live your life just worrying about whether it was fun or not. As we look and we move on into chapter 2, verses 8 to 17, we begin to move and he mentions philosophy and he gets more specific about angels. He talks about baptism. And again, you can use that scripture as your reference. And we remember last time, two weeks ago, we talked about Gnosticism a bit. And I can remember when I was in college, my friends and I loved to talk about philosophy. We thought this is a sign of being a mature person. We need to, we're in college, we have to talk philosophy. So we talked about all kinds of philosophers and we love to get into these long discussions about Spinoza and some of his mentality or Herman Hesse and some of his Buddhist thinking and all this kind of, but I still remember one particular book we got off into written by a guy named Dunn that was writing what, a book called The New Immortality. And that book was talking about the idea that time really didn't exist. That there are sequences and there are bubbles, but time itself is, is a created uh, entity. And we, well, we would spend hours talking about the strengths and the weaknesses of this. But Paul writes, not to limit man's creativity and his thinking and his understanding and talking about philosophy at all. But he simply says, don't get hung up. Don't get tied down to what the world is saying is important. Because the more time you put into that, the less time you'll put into doing that which is significant. Paul was writing to a church that was culturally not his own. He was writing to Gentiles. 
So he was doing cross-cultural ministry. Cross-cultural ministry is not easy. Paul's Jewish world had him uh, having clarity for a lot of things. He talked about spiritual circumcision. And he says to the church in Colossians, he said, you have been spiritually circumcised. That means you've been branded as a Christian. You've got the chop that's been given by God. You don't have to have a physical chop. There is a spiritual chop when you accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. If we say we're Christians, we should proudly wear the chop. And so Paul was saying, you, should, you already have that. We're all a part of the same family. You should never allow racist comments or religious expectations to divide you from other true Christians. We're one family. And I'm happy to have you as a part of my family. We're all together. I often joke about when we immigrate to heaven, I have no idea what color we're going to be. I hope not green. I'm not real big on green people. But, you know, I don't know what God's going to do there. But I know in China we often joke about if God keeps working, maybe most people will have black hair and yellow skin in heaven. Because God's doing some wonderful things in China today. Paul said, don't allow these things of, of man to divide you. And then in verse 12, he also mentioned something about baptism. Now, the reason I want to mention this is because he mentioned it. He talks about baptism as important. Now, whether you've been baptized in another church or not, that's a different issue. But according to the Scripture, here as well as in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, baptism was apparently important because the assumption... If we look in verses 12 and 13, right in that area, you find that baptism was a branding. It was a stamp. It was a, a gaijong. It was a, a, a stamp of approval of identity with the family. The thing I say there is, baptism does not make a per person become a Christian. If today you've not been baptized, but you've accepted Christ as Savior and Lord... Doesn't, that doesn't mean because you haven't been baptized, you're not a Christian. But it does tell me you have not bravely stood forward to give a testimony. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, you need to be. On the other hand, anybody that's baptized thinking that it helps you to join the club, you've been baptized for the wrong reason. We're baptized because of an existing relationship with Jesus and the obedience that is expected, according to Scripture, that we identify with the family of God. We're not baptized because we want to say, I'm a member of that club. So we all need to reflect and look closely at who we are and ask ourselves, am I baptized and why was I baptized? It was important. Because it's mentioned in Scripture. And the description that Paul goes into there says, you were baptized because da-da-da-da-da. In other words, he expects that if you're going to be in a church, he knew that they paid a price to be in that church. And he knew that they, by identifying with the church, 
uh, ran a risk with their lives. But he said, I know you've done that. I know you follow this in obedience. And it shows your commitment. Then he went on in verses 14 and 15 and he talks about the cross. And why does he do all this? He's trying to remind them that angels are not the standard. Jesus is the standard. When we pray. Now, if you continue to look, and he talks about the cross for reconciliation. The last time we were here, a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at chapter 1, it talked more about reconciliation and how it's important that we get that relationship back with God because we broke the relationship with our own sin. Our inability to allow Him to be our Lord. But we bring it back together when we become dependent once again. So he talks about the cross and the fact that the cross is both real and symbol. The cross was a physical, terrible experience for Christ. But it was something he used and changed the meaning to become something important. Then he goes on and he talks specifically about the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, what they can eat, Jewish rules and regulations. All of that is found as you continue to look through this. Then, in Paul's case, he was warning the church not to allow them to have Jewish expectations placed on them. Paul was having none of it. They tried to implement rules tied to the Sabbath, and he had learned from Jesus earlier on that just because a rule exists doesn't mean the rule is reasonable. Now, if you'll note... When we look at what Jesus did, Jesus didn't say, I don't like the Sabbath idea or I don't like the rule about women. He would say, this is the rule, let us talk about it. And he would explain. Paul learned to do the same. Probably the best illustration of Paul is probably found in Matthew 12, verses 1 to 9. And that's where Jesus was found shucking the corn in front of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. And he had to give an explanation, and he did, related to eating and and shucking the corn. For ourselves, we have to ask, do we ever allow our, our understanding of what it is to be a Christian to limit our ability to be effective as Christians? In Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 to 23, it gets more specific about angel worship and legalistic thinking. And you can look in chapter three verses, uh, chapter two verses eighteen to twenty-three, and it talks about the dangers of saying, "Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle different things." The it says, "Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why, as though they you still belong to the world, do you submit to such rules? These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based." on merely human commands and teachings. He says, don't surrender to this. You know, emotions are a gift of God. To ignore them completely is incorrect. But I know if we look in, in chapter, eight, uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 19, there were those who spent their time uh, depending on what they uh, have felt for their spiritual walk. Um, talks about the term humility. An unworthiness to speak directly to God. Uh, 
I kind of look at this and find it interesting that their idea of talking through the angels to get to God was really un, not unlike what Catholics have followed for many, many years. You know, many Catholics have this idea that the priest is the person who can help you to communicate with God. Indeed, they have a kind of training which is called Mariology or a teaching related to Mary. And Mariology basically teaches you that Christ is very busy. So since He's so busy, pray to Mary and she'll help you to talk to, to get it done. You know, I don't know where that theology came from, but in fact, it's very insulting to our Lord. And that's what Paul was saying. It's insulting if we go through angels. It's insulting if you focus on angels because Christ has said He's available to you. He has time. He'll hear your prayer. So Paul is reminding them of that, saying don't try to make Christ anything secondary. He is primary. Many years ago, I taught at Hong Kong Baptist Seminary and um, giving uh, my, my students an assignment I found that we were very, very isolated from the community. Our understanding was very limited. So I gave them some assignments that were very much outside of their box. And the result was I had students coming back to my class talking to me about what they had experienced visiting the racetrack. Now, there were definitely those people who said, you had your students going to the racetrack? I said, I didn't tell them to go there to gamble. I said, they went there to observe the nature of the people and how they function in the society. Then I had other students that came back and they said, yeah, they had gone to a bar. And they came back and they said, wow, those people's conversation had no content whatsoever. I did not tell them to go there to drink and get drunk and do all that stuff. But they went there to try to learn that we, we, we as Christians live in our bubble we invite people to come into our bubble. But those people who live out there in the regular world are looking at our bubble and saying, no thank you. We've got to find a way that the church either bursts its bubble or finds a way for us to reach out beyond the bubble. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying if you live inside of a rule and regulated society... You are not free indeed. The church is here to be salt and light and have impact on the world we live in. That's not saying you're free to do anything you want to do. It goes back to the story of James running around doing his mooning. He was focused on himself, but Paul says, you're free with focus. Brothers and sisters, we are here to be focused. We're here for a purpose. Paul's letter is a great letter of challenge. The church at Colossians needed Paul's letter. I would say to you today that possibly, just possibly, in the year 2015, BCBC needs a letter from Paul. I don't know what Paul's letter would say if it said, Dear BCBC, Dear ECLT, dear deacons, dear pastor, but I think it's a worthy exercise for us to consider. What would he say to us about our freedom 
and our commitment to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Paul's message. We thank You that Jesus was His model and that He boldly followed that model. We would ask that we would be equally hungry to be true Christians in following Jesus. In Jesus' name.